Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Making Memories. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Well, good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning? Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I have a, a confession to make. Um, I, I am a sucker for family traditions. Family traditions are a really great way to like understand the DNA of a family. And so I actually started asking around this week uh, just to hear some of y'all's family uh, traditions. And um, there were some strange ones, I'm not going to lie to you. But I think my favorite one was there's a family that said, uh, for as long as they can remember, every Thanksgiving, before the turkey goes into the oven... They invite the whole family down, and everyone uh, slaps it. <laughs> like, can you picture that? Like, Billy, get down here. It's time to slap the turkey. Like, what an odd. <laughs> so I started to think about some of, uh, some of my own family traditions, and there's a lot to choose from. There's a couple. Like, every time my family gets together, we all try and do our best Uncle Kevin impersonation, and he sounds just like Sling Blade. It's so strange. Um, there's another thing, there's a dance move that my family invented called the Boches. So like anytime anyone has like a sick burn on someone else, like everyone gets up and starts doing the Boches. That's the, my apologies. You had, can't really unsee that. But um, I think maybe my favorite family tradition, my, my brothers and I years ago decided that anytime that we traveled together, um, the rule would be, the tradition would be that you can only bring one three-piece suit. That's it. One, I, you're, you're right to be confused. Um, one three-piece suit, we typically would like buy it from a thrift store or whatever. So here's, here's us like at the hostel on our first trip together. And that like, that looks pretty cool, right? Kind of, like maybe obviously from a thrift store. Like it looks cool until you actually have to end up sleeping in an airport in a three-piece suit. And uh, like that's like so many questions from the people that walked by us. But I think my, my favorite picture from this trip, we were actually flying uh, into Ireland, and uh, I had a jar of jelly in a security. They said, you can't bring jelly through security. And I said, can I bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? And they said, okay. And I said, we got this. So we set up this <laughs> sandwich-making operation <laughs> on top of one of the baggage counters. So um, I cannot tell you how many confused people walked by Wondering what the heck was happening with these men in suits making PBAJ sandwiches in the airport. Well, today we're, we're talking about um, memories that we already have. We're, t- we're talking about memories from our past. And uh, I don't think I need to convince anyone here that like some of our memories are very good, right? But plenty of our memories are not so good. In fact, maybe they're painful memories. And so today we want to talk a little bit about what does it look like to actually begin to heal some of those memories? And I think a, a lot of our most painful memories often come from like a, a family pattern of pain. That could be due to a habit or a characteristic or a trait or behavior. Like has anyone ever said or heard the phrase, our family puts the fun in dysfunction? Anyone? Yeah, a lot of you were like, well, that's, that's us. That's my family. And, and while, while a habit or a trait or behavior may be part of it, I know that for a lot of us, those memories may be very, very painful. It might be something really serious like uh, an addiction or infidelity or abuse or racism. 
those are the really overt ones, right? Those are the family patterns that like, it's easy to pinpoint and call it what it is. But I think probably even for more of us, there's a lot of stuff that kind of exists in a subtler category. Like a, a little bit harder to identify. In fact, the, the Barner Research Group uh, did some research into some family patterns of behavior. And I, I found some of these to be really interesting. Um, 26% of American families struggle with gossip, which I actually thought was kind of low. Do you guys know how much the Fergusons gossip? I'll tell you about it later. It's real bad. Um, 35% say that they spend more money than they should. 55% say they are prone to overeat. So so these generational patterns, some of them are are a lot harder to identify, but I think they often develop around habits of things like worry and isolation, fear, bitterness, dishonesty, and if you're, if you're here this morning and you're already thinking, man, I, I don't need to be reminded of this. My, my family is really, really messed up. Please know that you are not alone. You're not, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to be convinced that there's some patterns of behavior. There's some cycles that my family's been caught in for a long time. If that's you this morning, you are not alone. Okay, so what does is, what is God's word actually have to say about this? There's a couple of really interesting passages in the Old Testament book of, uh, of Exodus that talks about some of the effects of these dysfunctional patterns, these toxic patterns, uh, and how they influence the next generation. So we'll start in Exodus 20 here in verse 4. It says, You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Okay, so if that sounds familiar, um, that's from the Ten Commandments. You know, when, when God commanded Charlton Heston and uh, he gave him these rules on these iPads, um, tablets, right? No? Okay. You're right to groan. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Mom. Um, so he continues here in uh, verse 5. He says, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so let's, let's hit pause there for a moment. Like, is he saying that we'll be punished for the sins of our parents or our grandparents? I, I want to assert that that's actually not what this passage is implying. In fact, there are numerous passages in the Old and New Testament, like Ezekiel 18, that make it very, very clear that God does not punish us for the sins of our parents or grandparents. Now, it's, it's, it's worth noting that the word punish here is the Hebrew word pakad. Let me hear you say pakad. Okay, so I have no idea if that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. Not at all. I think it's, I think it's pronounced pakad. And it's better translated review or inspect. Review or inspect. So, so maybe a different way to read it is God is reviewing and inspecting the results of what happens when we worship things other than God. When we put the weight and expectation of God on anything other than God, it affects more than just us. It affects generations to come. It's like God is saying, when you get this order out of whack, when you give the number one spot to someone or something else, it doesn't just affect you. It affects the people who come along behind you. It will impact generations to come. In fact, I I think the voice translation uh, reads really, really brilliantly. It says, as for those who are not loyal to me, their children will endure the consequences of their sins for three or four generations. 
Their children will endure the consequences. So it's, it's not this concept, this idea, this sort of like mystical hocus pocus that because your parents made a mistake that you're doomed to repeat it. But there are consequences to the decisions that we make here and now. Okay, so a, a couple of quick things to note. One, uh, we are not blaming or shaming our parents or grandparents, okay? For the most part, our parents and grandparents did the best they could with what they had, right? They, they were likely living out whatever was modeled for them. Number two, regardless of how painful your story is, there is hope. Are we tracking? Regardless of whatever story brought you in here this morning, whatever pattern, whatever cycle, whatever behavior you're even maybe thinking of right now, there is hope. In fact, the most painful part of your story may very well be the most life-giving part of someone else's story. Your, Your story is not beyond redemption. There is hope not just for us, but for the children and generations that come along behind us. Now, as harmful as some of these patterns can be, as toxic as some of these cycles can be, uh, it's, it's probably worth noting that, that breaking patterns can, can also sometimes feel very uncomfortable because like, we're used to them. If that's just the way things always have been, even if it's toxic, even if it's not good for us or our family, like shifting out of those patterns can be really difficult. For example, how many of you, this uh, image makes you cringe right here. Uh, right? Just, <laughs> just makes like makes my stomach churn. Or how about this one? Is anyone is anyone getting a little? Uh, oh please! Just does anyone want to like jump into the picture and just move that manhole cover? Just, I, I got it. Or how about this one? This one's my favorite. What are you doing? What? Ah! Uh, <laughs> this is like raising my blood pressure just looking at it. Right. My, my point is this, um, breaking patterns, even and especially when it's the right thing to do, can, can feel very difficult, can feel very painful at times, because if that's how it's always been, making a new choice, a new decision can feel very odd. But if we're going to heal, we got to do it. We got to do it. So here, here's some thoughts about how it can be done. A couple years ago, our founding pastors, Dave and John Ferguson, wrote a book called Starting Over. And the book is all about how do we, how do we live our life beyond regret, right? How do we take the things, the like broken, toxic patterns and cycles of our family and our history and actually live beyond that to the fullness that we believe that God has called us into? They assert that these like patterns of behavior, these like cycles that we get caught into uh, lead to what they call the sorry cycle. And the sorry cycle is essentially this. We all have longings. That's like deeply embedded like into our sinew. It's like who we are. But when we make decisions that are apart from God's plan for our life, when we do things that are toxic or uh, bring harm to us, it leads to regret. And out of that regret, we kind of recycle back into these longings and we just sort of get trapped. Maybe some of you have felt that way before. I mean, I just keep doing things that I don't want to do. I'm trying my best and I keep getting caught making decisions that perpetuate something that I actually know maybe isn't all that helpful. Well, there's good news. Dave and John assert that we can all jump into what's called the starting over loop. The starting over loop. And to do that, uh, I'm going to offer just a couple of practical uh, suggestions on how to actually engage with that. The first, uh, it starts by recognizing. It starts by recognizing. We... You can't heal what you don't know, right? 
So the first step is like actually identifying, calling out what it is. Like, yeah, I, I, I see that for what it is, and I know that it's not God's best for me. We, we got to get honest about the patterns that we get caught in. We can't heal until we recognize them. And, and here's, here's the caution. Oftentimes, they're so ingrained into us that it's hard to even see them for what they are, right? Like, okay, for example, um, my family is pretty sarcastic. <laughs> Shocker, I'm sure. Um, and I remember when, uh, when I first brought Katie home to meet my family, it was, um, I mean, God bless her for doing that in the first place, right? But the thing that I realized that my, my family is like loud and boisterous and sarcastic, and it wasn't until the drive home that she leans over to me and she goes, wow, your family is really sarcastic. And I was like, us? No, no, I don't. Are you thinking of a different family? I don't think that. She's like, yeah, really sarcastic. And it wasn't until she said that that I began to like look at my family through a little bit of a different lens. And, and while I was used to it, I began to realize that we use sarcasm as a barrier to intimacy, right? We use it as a way to like avoid topics that we don't want to talk about or, or conversations that we know we need to have, but we're not ready to. Sarcasm is a deeply ingrained, deeply embedded part of my family pattern, my family cycle. And you might be here this morning and you, you could identify something, but you maybe excuse it away a little bit. You're like, well, that's just how it's always been, right? That's just how my family is. That's just how I was raised. Anyone ever said that before? Someone maybe identifies something in your life or your behavior and you're like, no, that's just how I was raised. It's easy to excuse or to just assume that everyone else is like that, right? Oh, your family doesn't do that or talk this way or that's, that's different for you. If you're wondering if a particular pattern of behavior is destructive, it likely is. There's a good chance it is. My advice to you would be to find a close friend or a counselor and begin unpacking a bit of that story to seek some healing. One of the things that I'm really excited about offering here is we're actually going to offer four Ultimate Journey courses in the next week or two. And the Ultimate Journey is a 12-week small group, and the whole point in the group is to identify the lives that, the lies that we've believed that are affecting our present and future. It's letting God's love speak into the stuff that maybe we've carried with us for a long time that actually isn't true, that's perpetuated patterns of behavior that we either recognize or don't recognize. And I cannot recommend enough that you sign up for one of these courses. In fact, historically, a lot of these courses have been led by our very own Mary Ledden. I'm going to read a little bit of her story just to give you some context. Mary writes, she said, I I was the firstborn of five kids. My parents did the best they could with the group of us but it was hard. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was very insecure perfectionist. Being raised in a home with addiction and perfectionism made me a very insecure perfectionist with addictive tendencies. I was an avid people pleaser, workaholic, and someone who never said no. I believed I wasn't good enough, but maybe I could be good enough if I did all of those things. I craved compliments, but didn't really believe them because I wasn't perfect. I wanted to be loved, but believed that I was unlovable. Conflicts with my husband or kids proved I was unlovable. I was self-deprecating in public and self-loathing in private. I was overly critical of myself because of my need to be perfect. Mimicking my mom's perfectionism, I was always very nice so people would really like me. I was very helpful so people would love me. And I worked hard at my job to prove my worth, but none of this fulfilled me. Maybe you can relate. 
In order to find God's love, I went to Bible studies and read the Bible and prayed Bible verses. I thought if I kept striving, I would feel God's love eventually. I, I looked like I had it all together, the marriage, the kids, the ministries, and the career. But if you only knew the truth, I was terrified that I would be found out. I started having many bouts of depression. As time went on, they happened often and lasted longer. Attending church was really hard because it sounded so easy. Just give it to Jesus, right? I did over and over again, but I still couldn't feel God's love. And then God led me to the ultimate journey. I learned that many of my thoughts were actually lies. I identified those lies. My lies were the very thoughts I had always believed about myself. Thoughts like I wasn't good enough, I was unlovable, that I needed to be perfect. I learned to replace those lies with God's truth, which is what Ultimate Journey is all about. The truth is that I am lovable. God made me, knew me, and loved me before I was born. The truth is that in God, I am good enough. I also don't have to be perfect. Jesus is the perfect one. I learned that I don't have to work for God or anyone else to love me. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more or love me less. My life was forever changed when I chose to replace my lies with God's truth. And Mary's story is simple, but her pain was real. And the lies she believed were killing her from the inside out. She needed healing. Since then, Mary has led many Ultimate Journey groups and has heard heartbreaking stories. But in the end, they were able to identify the lies and replace them with God's truth in their life. And if that in any way, shape, or form sounds like you this morning, I I cannot recommend enough that you seek a friend, seek a counselor, sign up for one of these groups. It is a game changer, but it starts first with recognizing, calling it what it is. I see that now for what it is, and it's not what I want in my life. That's not the pattern that I want to be caught in. That's not the decisions that I want to make. The second thing we can do is to release. After we recognize, we can do the hard work of releasing. And this one maybe sounds simplistic, but please hear me in this. With God's help, this actually is possible. To call it what it is and then to begin to like loosen our white knuckle grip of perpetuating that cycle or that pattern. The prophet Isaiah, I think, puts it brilliantly. He said this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a, what's the word? New thing. I believe that for every person in this room, regardless of whatever that pattern is you're identifying, God wants to do something new in your life, in my life, in our life together. God wants to take whatever's busted up in our past, whatever thing we've been carrying along, probably for far too long, and to do something new with it. It means that we don't have to be stuck in negative patterns. We're we're not doomed to repeat the past. We're not doomed to repeat the sins and shortcomings of our parents and our grandparents. God wants to do something new in us and through us. We don't have to carry the hurt of our painful memories anymore. So how do we actually release the pattern? What does it look like to really loosen our grip on that? it, it shouldn't come as any surprise that I think that probably involves some kind of forgiveness. It could be forgiveness of a parent or a loved one. Or it might be forgiving yourself if you're the one that's perpetuated this pattern of behavior. Whatever that is, it might, it might look like learning to forgive yourself a little bit. Lewis Smith, I think, puts it brilliantly. He put it this way. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Right? When we talk about bitterness, bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. 
This is the step of saying, God, I recognize what's going on in my life and my family history and whatever these patterns are. And I, I don't want that to be a part of my story anymore. And holding on to this unforgiveness is killing me from the inside out. Just like Mary was saying, just like many of us have experienced that holding on to these things, we know doesn't bring us health or life or fullness. And yet so often we continue in them. It starts by calling it what it is and praying for God's strength and help to actually release them. To let go of them. Maybe a question we need to ask is, am I truly seeking healing or is there something in me that still wants payback? I think it begins by being honest with God because he already knows our hearts. He's already there in every crevice, nook and cranny of our being and yet he still calls us beloved. God loves us not as we ought to be but as we are because none of us are as we ought to be. So we can be honest about these things that have been eaten away at us and say, okay, God, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm entrusting them to you. I'm entrusting these patterns and these cycles to you. The third thing we can do is something that only God can do, and that's to redeem these patterns. To redeem these patterns. I believe with all my heart that God can take even the most broken parts of our story and not just make them okay, but make them something Beautiful. Make them something life-giving. The most painful part of your story may very well be the most life-giving part of someone else's. And many of you have experienced this. A season, an experience, an encounter that you wouldn't wish on anybody that now God is using for you to bring life and healing and hope to the lives of other people. Only God can do that. Doesn't just make it go away. Doesn't just sweep it under the rug but actually redeems it and uses it for something way beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. The Apostle Paul, writing to uh, early Christ followers in Rome, says this. He says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What this isn't saying is that God did these horrible things to you or your family so that he could be glorified. That's not at all what that's saying. What it is saying, though, that there's not a single person in this room who is too far to be redeemed. There's not a pattern. There's not a cycle. There's not a story. There's not a narrative that God looks at and says, man, I'm sorry, I'm, my hands are tied with this one. God looks at every single one of us like a loving father and says, I want to I make something beautiful out of this. Yeah, even this, even that thing that maybe you haven't told a soul about. The thing that you've done your best to either sweep under the rug or that you've grown bitter in, God says, oh, I want to redeem that. God's in the business of redeeming broken things. He's in the business of restoring things that the rest of the world would say that doesn't have any use here. That's the gospel. That when we could do nothing to earn or deserve God's favor, he pursues us and loves us and forgives us and redeems us over and over again. That's the story that God's inviting us into. I mean, I, I, I've seen the memories of broken marriages restored to bring hope and healing to young and old couples alike. I, I've seen painful memories of addiction and abuse restored and redeemed to help others who are struggling with addiction and abuse. I mean, I, I've seen people like gripped by anger, hate, aggression. And God has redeemed those parts of their story and they now help bring hope and healing to people struggling with similar things. 
I've seen this far too much to not believe that God is absolutely in the business of redeeming and restoring, even and especially the most broken parts of our story. But it starts first by saying, I know that that's broken. I know that's not God's best for me. I know, I know that's not the fullness of life God intended or intends for me. The question is, will we trust him? And not like in a Sunday school kind of trust, but like in an actual deep abiding, like gut level, like I've been holding on to this for far too long, God. I don't even know what it looks like to redeem this, but I'm trusting you with it. Will we actually trust him? This idea of, uh, of breaking painful patterns and cycles reminds me of a, a TED talk that I saw recently. And the, the TED talk was, um, was about a guy who, who engineered this, uh, this bicycle that when you turn it right, the wheel goes left. And when you turn it left, the wheel goes right. And his, his whole point was to kind of expose like these deeply ingrained like patterns of behavior, these like cycles that we're all sort of like caught in all the time. So this guy was, um, this guy here on the screen, he was challenged uh, to ride one of these bicycles that turns uh, right when you go left and left when you go right and, and thought like, yeah, sure. How hard could it be? Well, let's take a look together, shall we? So here he is, yeah. Already kind of spooky, right? Like some of you still though are thinking, oh yeah, I could probably manage that, right? I can, I can make that happen. Let's see how well he does. And he's off. No. Well, surely on the second try, he's gonna get it. And down he goes again. Maybe on the third try, he just... This goes on for a while, by the way, of him just falling over and over and over again. How many of you in this room still are like, oh, I could probably do it, right? So I, that's because I thought the same thing. No, you can't. In fact, the guy that engineered this bicycle like went across the country and he would have the bike on one side of the stage and on this side of the stage, he'd hold a $100 bill. He said, if you can make it this far across the stage, I'll give you this $100 bill. Not a single person was able to do it. So this guy was like so intent on like changing the behavior, changing the pattern that he practices this bicycle every day for eight months. And let's see what happens. He's doing it. Give it up for the guy on the bicycle, right? He's making it happen. Still a little, a little shaky though. I'm a little worried about how this video is going to end. He's, he's going pretty well. And if, oh boy, that, that still gives me kind of motion sickness. I don't know that I can look at that too much longer. He's riding and then there he goes. Okay, down he goes, but look at how much better he did, right? I mean, he made significant improvement. Eight months Every single day, he was finally able to ride, even though it was a little bit shaky. Here's my favorite part. They made a similar bicycle for his little boy, and uh, his little boy had only been riding for like a couple of years, right? So as an adult, he'd been riding for decades. They gave it to his little boy, and the little boy had a rough start as well, but he was able to ride it after, guess how long? Two weeks. (laughs) Not eight months, but two weeks he was able to ride this bicycle that took him eight months to master. And here's what I love about that. The decisions that we make right now in this room, this week, this month, this year, will have a tremendous impact on the children and generations that come after us. Remember where we began in Exodus 20? I didn't share with you the other half of that verse Remember, it said that the consequences of their sin we felt for three or four generations, but then it goes on. But for those who love me and keep my directives, their children will experience my loyal love for how long? Thousand generations. 
thousand generations. Like we all carry these patterns. We all have cycles that we're caught in. We all have things that were handed down to us or someone instructed us with or that was passed along in some way, shape, or form. But when we make the decisions right here and now to recognize what's broken, to release it to God, to allow him to do his work of redemption and restoration, that doesn't just affect us. That doesn't just affect the people in this room or in our places of employment or in our neighborhoods. That has the power to affect thousands of generations. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, it's painful to call these things out. But I think it will be so, so worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for loving us with that kind of love that we know that we could never earn or deserve. And God, I know that in a a room this size, um, there are all kinds of stories, some of them really good, but many of them very, very painful. God, would you begin doing a healing work in our hearts for us to first identify what that pattern really is, what it's actually about? to help us loosen our white knuckle grip around that pattern, around that behavior, around that cycle, to give it to you. And would you do something incredible through it, God? I know that there's not a story in this room that you don't want to redeem. It begins with trusting you. We thank you, God, and we love you. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.